0: Yes, so so excited to be here, Uh, Lee Paul. Thank you so. What an honor. Um, So I'm stoked. If you have your Bibles, though, real quick, I want you to turn with me. And it's so funny that you opened up with that passage, uh, Paul, about um, Elisha's uh, grave and the in the Moabite raiders being thrown in there, because just a few verses before that is what the Lord really had. I felt like given me for this house for this region, for this whole weekend. And uh, I, I just want to read a few verses and just kind of set a little bit of groundwork. And then I want to share some exciting things of what God's been doing, this whole thing about redigging the wells of revival. And I think why it's really important, you're here, we're here in Kimberly. Like, this is not an accident. God is really up to something. So we'll jump into that a little bit more tonight, too. So in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse uh, verse 15... It says this, it says, Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. He said, take the bow in your hands, and he said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elijah put his hands on the king's hands. Now get this this phrase, he says, open the east window. And so the king opened it, shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha, Elisha declared, you will now completely destroy the Armenians at Aphek. And then he said, take the arrows. And this is where it gets real exciting for me. And the king took them, and Elisha said to him, strike the ground. I, I, wanna, I just want to just right here, I felt in my spirit in the last 48 hours God screaming in my spirit just resounding strike the ground. And I feel like that's why he brought us here. He brought us here to literally strike the ground. And we're going to strike this ground for the next 3 days. But I really felt like the Lord is saying, strike the ground. And there's there's a way you got to strike the ground because look what happens. So he took this said uh, he took the arrows, the king took them and He struck it three times, and then he stopped. He stopped it three times. And the man of God was angry with the king and said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you could have defeated completely Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you'll only defeat it three times. And what that kind of really sticks out to me is that when the opportunity came to strike the ground, the king did it three times, right? But, but, but. Elisha the prophet was like, look, your whole heart isn't into this thing. You need to, like, literally put your whole heart and strike it. Like, how bad do you want this? How bad do you want this? And what happened is because he didn't want it that badly, he was unable to drive the enemy completely out of the land. And a lot of times in our own personal life, we struggle so many times because we have breakthrough or we'll get momentum. We'll, we'll see God break through in a certain area, but we're unable to drive the enemy completely out because we fail to go for it, to, like, give our all when it's time. You know what I mean? And so I felt like I heard the Lord so clearly say, Michael, strike the ground. I want to strike the ground. I want to strike Kimberly so hard. I want to strike Alabama. Bama so hard because there is a deep well in this whole area and this region. There is a deep well flowing under this place in the spirit that is powerful, and I I, I want to unpack that because like in our in our journey of revival, God marked my wife and I back in two thousand and seven for revival and awakening. It's the call of our life to see a whole generation. Get swept into the powerful presence of God, whole cities transformed, regions transformed. And that journey to do that for us has led to redigging wells of revival. Now, who's ever heard of that phrase, redigging wells of revival? It's okay. If, you, if you've never even heard of that or like, what's that all about? Raise your hand if, if that's you've never even heard. Cool. That's awesome. I had no idea what this was about, but I was on a journey to see revival come. And so the Lord said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you, and it's going to come through redigging these wells. So I want to share with you tonight about that, why it's important. Um, if you want to go ahead, are you ready to roll? All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up, and then we're going to work our way in. Now, this right here, this slide, is called the Carolina Charter of 1663. And this is a very interesting document. This is way back in history, all right? And this is all going to tie into Kimberly, Alabama. So this document was very important to know because before there were 13 colonies in our United States government, this charter paved the way for what was known as the land of the Carolinas. And King Charles II from England granted it to eight Lord Barons and gave them full authority and permission to basically settle the land and do whatever they wanted. Problem was there were already inhabitants on this land, the Native Americans, so they basically gave them, you know, permission to push them out, build schools, governments, and that's, that's basically what happened. Um, but this charter literally set the groundwork and the formation of the Carolinas. Now, for me, I always knew that North and South Carolina were together. I didn't know the extent of this land. If you hit the next one, this is the actual original land of the Carolinas for 60 years. I see Alabama there. Do you see Alabama? Alabama was Carolina for its first 60 years of existence. Just think about that. Alabama was Carolina. We're connected. We're connected. And not only Alabama, but as you can see, the whole South. I mean, Los Angeles, California. And for the first 66 years, of its existence, the Carolinas was exactly that whole chunk of land, the South. And why that's interesting to know is two things, and I won't go too deep into this, but because of that, the South became the birthing place, the Carolinas, and into Georgia, Alabama, these became the birthing places of, of churches, movements, all throughout the, the Midwest and the West Coast, right? Because they didn't migrate from the Pacific into California or through Mexico. They came through Carolinas. They came through the Atlantic, through the ports, through the harbors, and they migrated westward. So the whole point of what I'm saying and, and showing us is that, is what if there's an anointing on the actual land itself to pioneer and forerun and birth things? I believe it is. It's a gateway. So, I just thought that was really awesome just to kind of start us out with that. Alabama, come on. what's Carolina at one point in our history. Okay, go ahead. I want to talk a little bit about revival history. Anybody familiar with the Azusa Street Revival? Azusa Street Revival. Okay. So I want to share a little bit of background about this. In 1906, the Azusa Street Revival breaks out in America. It's huge because it's, it's the Holy Spirit being poured out In Los Angeles, California, there's the warehouse. And if you see the man up top, he's an African-American man, a one-eyed man. Now, why is that significant? Because the Lord used him to spearhead this movement. And I mean literally thousands of people were going into that mission from all over the world. Some of the most crazy miracles are happening at this warehouse. Like it is the most documented uh, creative miracles that have ever happened in all of church history more than the Great Awakenings, more than the Moravian Revival, more than the Methodist Revival, more than the Baptist Revivals, more than any other revival in history, there are actual accounts where Teeth were popping out of people's mouth and growing back in and arms completely coming out of the socket. People falling down before they could even get to the mission. Even there's accounts that said that at the train station, a mile away, people were laid out at the train station because the atmosphere all around Los Angeles was so invaded by the presence of God. I mean, come on. And so men and women were getting marked but what's not so much talked about is the whole racial dynamic about it. Isn't it interesting that God used an African-American man to spearhead this movement in 1906? Do you know that in the year 1906, America had its most lynchings of black people? The most lynchings ever recorded in America's history was the year 1906. And how about God? He takes a, a one-eyed African-American man and he raises up the spearhead a global church-wide movement. Why? Because he still likes to take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. Oh, my God. I feel preaching coming on. Woo. Seymour. So who's the guy underneath him? This guy underneath him, his name is Cashwell, G.B. Cashwell. Cashwell was a minister from North Carolina. Now, this is interesting to know. He was a minister from North Carolina. He was, he was in holiness. He was preaching the holiness movement for years. He was starting churches. He was like a 10 evangelist. He was going all around the Carolinas just, you know, laboring for the Lord. But he heard about Azusa Street, and it struck him. It, it literally struck him. Now, at the same time this was going on, he was going through his own personal growing pains with God. Like, he was in this place where he wanted more. Does anybody want more in this place? Like, he wanted more of the Lord. And so it was almost this perfect storm happening. So he heard a report of what was going on all the way in California, and he had to go. And so Cashwell takes a train, and for six days fast from Carolina to California, rode that map line pretty much, and got to the mission. Now, when he got to the mission, he says famously in his letter, he said a new crucifixion had to begin in my heart, and I had to die to many things, and it was a struggle, and he had to really, you know, they said at Azusa Street, preachers died the hardest, because they had more to die to, I mean, these guys were getting reborn all over again, is what I'm trying to say, and these weren't nominal Christians, y'all, this, they weren't pew sitters, these were people that were on fire for the Lord doing things, but but something was missing in their life. And so when they saw this happening, it just created all this hunger. So Cashwell goes, and all of a sudden he has Seymour and all of the African Americans in the warehouse lay hands on him, which is a powerful gesture for a man in the South in 1906. And when they all lay his hands on him, he goes, Out in the spirit, and he speaks perfect German. Like literally gets the perfect German language. All this is documented. So Cashwell is sent back to the Carolinas, holds a revival in a tobacco warehouse, and it basically becomes the Azusa Street of the East Coast. And what happened in Los Angeles, California, now happened in a little tiny town called Dunn, North Carolina. Just happens to be where Abner lives. Abner Dagon Suarez lives in Dunn, North Carolina, five miles from where this revival took place. So... Cashwell, it, 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 it literally, it began to move, guys. And, and what I want us to see is that Los Angeles, California, the climate was different than Dunn, North Carolina in 1906 with this racial charge and cultural discord in the atmosphere. You know, in 1906, there were Jim Crow laws. So law, black and white, couldn't be together in the South. And we're in Alabama. I, I know you know what I'm talking about. So Cashwell was just undone, though, because when he got the full Holy Spirit in him, he didn't see color or race or denomination. So when he, he held the meeting and done, he invited black, Indian, and white, all races, all cultures, all denominations, gathering around the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And people were just getting healed saved by the droves. So word began to spread all through the south. All through the south. No one had heard about this in the south yet. This is in California, some a little bit up north, but no one heard it about in the south. So God began to open the door for Cashwell to go all over the south. So if you want to hit that next one. So here, yeah, I want to read this. Because I, I, this is really important. Cashwell, listen, this is his own writings. He said, look, about two months ago, I began to read in the way of faith Reports of the meetings at the Azusa Mission in Los Angeles. And I underline this. Listen to this man's heart. I had preached holiness for nine years, but my soul began to hunger and thirst for the fullness of the living God. I, I want to put that in perspective. In the holiness movement where these guys were coming out of, they were taught that they already had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They were already taught that they were filled with the Spirit because they were on fire and they were walking in divine healing. I mean, healing was happening, manifestations, words of knowledge, prophecy. That stuff was happening in the holiness movement. So they have been taught that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So think about that. These guys have been taught that for 20, 30 years, and they're preaching it. But then what happens, Azusa Street happens, and now they're saying, no, 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 no. The the Holy Spirit is not in holiness. It's after holiness. There's another encounter with the Holy Spirit that will give you power to witness all over the world. And so what happened is, what I'm saying is, think about that. So Cashwell had to undo his thinking. What if it's more about unlearning what we know instead of trying to learn new things? And so it's like, Cashwell had been taught this all his life, and then he reached this critical moment in his journey with the Lord and had to really, really get low and just said, Maybe, maybe, just maybe, I don't have what I think I have. And just think about that in our own, your own relationship right now with the Holy Spirit. What if what you think you have is not really? Go ahead to the next one. So these guys were just, I mean, the whole, and the Holy Spirit was just being poured out. So here he comes, the state, the state of North Carolina got involved in this. And and because as he led that meeting and done, thousands from all over the South were coming. And so the effect of that was 12 Pentecostal denominations were born out of the meeting and done. You ever heard of the Pentecostal Holiness Church? Church of God, Assemblies of God. All those denominations came out of Cashwell's meeting. They all are rooted back to Cashwell's meeting and done. And today, I believe, that, I believe the approximate number is 70 million. 70 million charismatic, spirit-filled Christians trace their roots back to Cashwell in the meeting in the Carolinas. That's unbelievable. Hit the next one. He impacts the South. One of the things that Cashwell was doing, he was breaking that Jim Crow ideology all across the South because he was gathering people, races, all these denominations around the Holy Spirit. And it was literally like, guys, this is, he did it in three years. In three years, Cashwell brought almost single-handedly that whole Pentecostal movement to that red area. That man was on a train. This is pre-social media. This is pre-Instagram and Facebook. This is like no internet. He is going. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving through him, and it literally catches the whole south on fire. Hear that next one. Now, I want to bring us here. Alabama and Kimberly. Now, we're in Kimberly, right? Okay. So how did he get here? So Cashwell was invited to Alabama. And he came in 1907 to Birmingham because there was a group in Birmingham that said, man, what is going on? The Holy Spirit's being poured out. There's this dude. His name's Cashwell. He's carrying this new message, new tongues, new fire. He's got to come. He's got to come here. So they, they invite him here. But when he comes here, he doesn't come like to downtown Birmingham. He comes to Kimberly, Church of God. And where the Kimberly Church of God is, this is actually the original tent that was set up there. I'm going to tell you why this is so significant, because when Cashwell comes to this meeting, the Holy Spirit shows up, and several things happen. Help me to get this really quickly, Lord, but it's very powerful. What happens at the Kimberly, Alabama meeting? Number one, this is what happens. First of all, there are two leaders that happen to go into the meeting, and they are changed One of them's name is Pinson, his last name is Pinson, and the other man, his name is Rogers, last name is Rogers. Pinson and Rogers, they were two evangelists. They heard about Cashwell, they heard about the Holy Spirit, like, what is this? They go in the meeting, they go in the tent, and they are impacted. And why is this important? Because those two men go on to form the entire Assemblies of God denomination in Hot Springs, Arkansas, right here in Kimberly. That's where they got touched. Not only that. Here's more, even more fascinating to me, and this is, I think, is really important for us to know tonight. There was a 13 year old girl that came to this meeting, right here from Kimberly. Her name was Anna Dean Cole. 13 years old, she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. The records say she is the first person in the entire city of Birmingham to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Third in the state of Alabama. 13 year old little girl, and guess what happens? She manifests the language of Mandarin Chinese as she's baptized in the spirit. I'm not just like she cut out about not just like the tongue, I mean, like literally Chinese language. These people were getting dialects, like this is real, this was really happening right here in this your backyard. She was speaking full Chinese, and what happened is she felt a call to the mission field because to understand. Pentecostal movement is to understand missions. They were sending missionaries left and right. They called them missionaries of the one-way ticket because they were so on fire they would send their coffins ahead of them because they didn't think they were coming back home. And a 13-year-old little girl who starts speaking Chinese in Kimberly says, God's calling me to China. Do you know what kind of a journey it was in 1907 to go from Kimberly, Alabama to China? God, man, that's like, I might as well be on Pluto or or Mars. But this girl was burning in her heart. She had an aunt in New York. Her aunt heard about it. She said, I'm going to China. She was also a missionary. The aunt hooks up with the 13-year-old in Kimberly, and they go to China. Now, here's what's interesting. They go to China, and they get to Hong Kong. They go to Hong Kong. They have a supernatural encounter with a Chinese man. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets saved. He brings them into a community. Within six months, they lay a church. The 13-year-old and her aunt from Alabama lay a church down in Hong Kong, China, becomes the first Pentecostal church in China. They establish a Bible school six months later. That school grows and that church grows. Today, it still exists. But not just that church. Guess what? how much it formed or birthed? That seed that they laid has now 15 congregations, 13,000 members, three conferences and two Bible colleges. Right now, 2019, in Hong Kong, China, because a 13-year-old was marked by the Holy Spirit and said, I love my life, not unto death, and she gave herself as a free will offering for another generation and a nation to come in to what God was doing in the earth. Hungry are you? I mean, this did. I mean, 13 years old. She never saw her parents again. She was marked. Something got her. What got her? What would do that? How powerful was God moving in this region? This is Kimberly, Alabama. This ain't New York or LA. Kimberly, Alabama, where they were sending them to the nations, and they were seeing massive fruit coming all throughout their faith and their offering. My God. This is not the only one. There was another missionary named TJ McIntosh. He accompanies them over to Hong Kong and he goes over and he also spreads the gospel. He writes a letter back to Cashwell. He publishes it in his paper. I got it back home. Guess what he said in the letter? He said, the opium drug trade had ruled China's government for years up until 1907. But as the church started to grow and the Holy Spirit was poured out in Hong Kong and other places, it literally brought down the opium drug trade in China. And Chinese people were getting saved left and right, coming sober and clean, and doing away with all forms of opioid in their governments. Why do I get so excited and passionate about that? It's history, and it could be just history. But the Bible says, greater is the latter than the former. If the former is still outweighing the latter or where we're at right now, then what could come to you and I if we really get God's heart? If If that is happening in the former, what could come in the next 10 and 15 years? If we catch a revelation of how God wants to move, come on, man. And I, I I believe it starts with hunger. Cashwell said, My soul hungered for the fullness of God. He was not, he was not satisfied even as a minister. He said, I'm I am hungry. I am hungry. I want more of you, Lord. Even right now, I'm 39 years old. I've been following God for 15 years. I came out of severe fear drug addiction, crack and heroin, prison, and I've been on fire for 15 years, but even now, I'm at a crossroads in my own life and I'm saying, God, I want more. I want to be changed again. I'm not satisfied. I want to be an offering to a generation that will receive you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Strike the ground, the Lord says. He says, strike the ground because there's wells here. There's wells. Now, you got to Get that in your image because what's happening is people are doing business with God all on these grounds. Think about all the prayer and the worship going up in the atmosphere. You know your prayer is eternal. Our bodies die, our spirits go to heaven, but our prayer stays in the atmosphere, into heaven. Come on, bowls of incense before the throne of God. And it says in Revelation 4 that one time they'll tip over. The, the, saints of, the, the prayers of the saints will tip over onto the lamb, under the throne. Who but we can come into agreement with their intercession. I know that sounds really weird. But it's biblical and it's true. Hebrews 11, 39, 40. We won't go there, but you should study that. Hebrews 11, 39, 40 will teach you that we can come into agreement with the intercession that they prayed. Even though that they're in heaven now. Because this is why. God is generational, guys. We don't, I, I'm learning more and more how generational God is. He is so generational. Now how he is, is God is like a novelist. He is a novelist. and He is a poet. And what he does is he writes stories called our lives. And every one of you right now, I believe it with everything in me, have a book written about your life. It's already written. God has wrote a book about your life. It's in Psalm 40. He, he, there's a book all about our lives that God is writing. And that narrative, that narrative isn't just about our own personal life. Because think about it. The call of God on your life, it's too big for you to fulfill in one lifetime. It takes generations to come together and connect the whole storyline and what God is writing. And then when you start seeing how your generational narrative begins to connect with the regional narrative where God has called you and where you're planted, where your home is, then it gets real exciting. Then you get to see, whoa, God is doing something really massive. Does that make, does that make sense? He's the God of Abraham. He's, tri-gener- he's tri-generational. And so what he'll do is he'll make a promise in one generation. Come on, the Bible's filled with it. He'll make a promise in one generation, but he'll raise up another to fulfill it. Jesus said, I came to finish something. Come on. Can you hit, can you hit the next one? I want to just, well, I want to tie this in. So, again, this is the Alabama leaders. This meeting, man, at Kimberly was, was pivotal. It was pivotal in the Pentecostal movement. That Pinson guy's the far right, Rogers on the far left. Another guy that's not pictured in this one is a guy named A.J. Tomlinson, who was also at the Kimberley meeting. A.J. Tomlinson went on to form what is known as the Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee. He heard Cashwell first at Kimberly. He invites Cashwell to Cleveland, Tennessee, and the Holy Spirit falls. And the whole Church of God denomination is born. You see how all that is directly tied in. But it was here. It was, it, was, it was here. What can we learn from that? This is what that teaches me. That there is an anointing in this land and on this region to influence leaders. Because leaders were influenced. And the church, my brother said, you know, we, we, we've lost a large part of our influence in our culture today, in our, in our generation. We've, we're, we're losing our voice. We're losing that influence that we once had. But there is something here that happened in the past that literally influenced the world, it influenced it. And I believe we can not just pick that back up, but take it even further. Hit that next one. We can take it further. What I've learned about redigging revival wells, because I've had to fight through a lot of It's not the most popular message, especially in our generation, especially when you get talking about the past. Because here's what you battle. Well, it's in the past. Why are you bringing that up? It's just, it's over. We're moving forward. God's doing a new thing. Right? We're doing a new thing. you 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 can't look at it that way. It's not a really good biblical way to look at it. Because if you look at God, he's a full-time God. He never changes yesterday, today, and forever. And so instead of we're going to repeat what they did, that's not the case. What it is is we're honoring who they were and what God did with them. And in in, in honoring them, we're going to finish what they never could complete. It's the image of a marathon race with several runners. You ever watch in the Olympics and you have the baton relay and you got several runners running this massive race and they got to hand the baton off and when the baton comes the other runner starts running and he gets it and goes. That's exactly what this generational narrative looks like. So what God will do, he'll give the baton to one generation and they'll run it. But then there has to be a passing of the baton to the next for it to keep going. But a lot of times we drop Heard it say that revivals break because they're never sustained. Or the other revival movement hates the new one that's being birthed. So there's always a baton drop. There's, there's, that's why Elisha's, that's why, you know, we know, why, his, um, you know why his bones awakened that dead man? Elijah raised up Elisha, did he not? That was his disciple. He poured into him. And therefore the mantle passed at the rivers of the Jordan. I believe with everything in me, Elisha had another disciple. You know what his name was? Gehazi. He was training Gehazi to take the mantle. But Gehazi was not right. His lifestyle wasn't right. He had ulterior motives. And he could never quite connect with God in a way that was holy and pure. And so Gehazi failed in many ways. And guess what? He couldn't. Take the mantle from Elisha. So when Elisha died, that mantle is still on him in the ground. That's why that dead body pops up. Because that thing had life in it. But it was never passed to the next generation. So we digging these wells. Even as we're talking about it tonight, what we're doing, we're honoring the past. And God is going to give us access. Listen to that. He gives us access to what they carried for our present. How does this work? Without going, I I won't go too deep into this, but I I will mention this. And Jacob's, you guys familiar with Jacob's dream at Bethel? Matter of fact, let's go there. It it really is good. Go to to Genesis 28. I, I just want to pop this out to you. I get kind of excited, as you can tell. A little passionate. In Genesis chapter 28, it's about Jacob's dream at Bethel. And I just want to read in verse, in verse 12. It said, he laid and had a dream in which he saw a stairway. Somebody say stairway. Resting on the earth. Its top was reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord. Look at that, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I'm going to give your descendants the land on which you are lying. And they will be like the dust of the earth, spread out to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. Skip to verse 16. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Kimberly is a gateway. How many have walked through this region and not even known what they were walking in? How awesome is this place? And then Jacob, last part of it, look at this. Next morning he gets up, he takes the stone, he pours oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. That city used to be called Luz. And then this is what I want you to catch. This is huge. Then Jacob made a vow Saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat, clothes to wear, so that I will safely return to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be his house. And all that you give me, I'll give a tenth. And what Jacob does is he makes a vow at this, at this place. We're talking about there are places in demographical regions that are gateways and portals. Places that I like to call where the atmosphere is a little bit thinner than others. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where the atmosphere is so thin. Jacob goes to this place. What is the point of all that? What is the point of a gateway? What is the point of a portal? Or, or even this dream where angels are ascending and descending. Because here's the deal. God is revealing himself to Jacob as the God of your father Abraham, right? Without going in there, but you got to know the whole story. When God first called Abraham, Abraham, when he gets to the land of Canaan, guess what in the very first places he goes to? Bethel. Builds an altar. God appears to him, and that's at Bethel where God says, I'm going to bless you, make your name great, right? So in this passage, this is his, what, grandson This is his grandson, now coming, and he has, I don't even think much knowledge about it. Maybe Isaac told him a little bit, maybe not. He's running from Esau, remember? He's like, just like getting, just wants to not lose his life. And he, this is by accident almost, he has a dream. And on the very same place where God promised Abraham, now 40, 50 years later, God is appearing to his grandson, his seed, his descendant, and making him the same promise. In other words, God is saying, Listen, I promised Abraham one thing. He didn't see the fulfillment of it, but if you connect with me, Jacob, I will fulfill what I promised your grandfather. So that was promised generation ago will be manifested in your life now. What if our ancestors? What if your grandparents and great-grandparents or whoever in your family line made covenants with God and prayers that you don't even know about? But God says, you know, I want to keep them. And he leads you on a journey, and he begins to awaken up some of those things inside of you. I believe that that happens. I believe that happens because this God is generational God. Now, check this out. He does a transaction at the well when he makes a vow. And anytime you go to a revival well, there has to be a transaction. There has to be a transaction at the well. Last part about this, right? Now, the word stairway in Hebrew is this word salam. Guess what it means? It doesn't mean just like a ladder. It actually means a huge wide staircase. But not just a wide staircase. It means a spiral staircase. You ever been in a beautiful house, you see the spiral staircase? You know, Solomon even built spiral staircases in the temple. That's fact because of Jacob's stream. Now, if this angels are ascending and descending on this spiral staircase, what, what does that mean? What is God showing us about these gateways? Not only are there gateways out here in the region and the areas because of special things that God did with generations before, but there's another gateway. Guess where it is? hit that next one we're made out of dna spiral oh god come on. strands that carry genetic encoded information of our ancestors through our dna and that DNA, without giving a whole science class on it, but I will say this, those two strands are connected by those genetic codes that pass information. That's how we get our eye color our, our, from our parents or our biological, you know, we get our hair color, our eye color, our skin tone. All of the, that information is passed on. But we are in ourselves a gateway. That's why we can establish gateways wherever we go, in our homes, and every other place. Because we are, Jesus, man, he is our ladder. And because of him, we literally can release heaven on earth. Messages, divine intelligence, wisdom, revelation, dreams. I mean, I'm talking about living in that realm. This is how it works. This is what God's showing us. Hit the next one. Okay. A little bit of theory, but let's talk about practice. So does this really work? It really works. I got to share this a few stories, then we'll start wrapping it up. So get this. Everything I just shared about Cashwell, that whole revival, God put on my heart to write a book. And I was a Bible college student. And why this is interesting is because I was a Bible college student in Dunn, North Carolina. That's where I went, where this revival took place. That's where I met Amber. That's where we both met in Small Bible College in Dunn. That was spurred off of this revival 100 years ago. Now, when I was a student, I didn't know anything about that. didn't know anything about cash or anything. But God began to lead me on this journey. And as soon as I heard about him and the history, just as somebody told me like I'm telling you tonight, it like literally stuck in my mind. I couldn't shake it. And it went on, I went on a four-year journey. And God began to just move in my life about that. But, but I want to share this, what's really important. When we were in Wilmington, North Carolina, I served as a senior associate pastor for seven years on staff there. And when I first got there, I told them about this history in Carolinas and Dunn. And they're like, we never heard of that. Are you serious? And I was like, look, man, we need to go up to the site and let's pray. So we gathered. This is the actual day we went. We gathered like 25 intercessors from Wilmington. And we went. We went at the site. I'm behind the sign next to my dad in the red jacket. We went to the site, and it says the Holy Ghost outpouring. Of uh, Cashwell done, and we prayed this prayer: God, we honor what you did in the past, but we want to see something in our generation. Lord, open the well of the south again. Open the well. Open the land. Strike the ground. You can. We had shofars, flags flying. Strike the ground. We prayed it. Guess what happened? Holy cow! That night, now listen. I from Dunn to Wilmington it's a two hour drive. That night, I get home to Wilmington, and I get a Facebook private message from a public high school teacher in that very town, Dunn, North Carolina. Now, I met this lady like years ago, like at a social, like just really brief. I didn't know this, but she had been following us for several years. She reached out to me in the message. She goes, hey, Mike, don't know what you've been up to, but you've been on my mind for a year. And today, and today I want to reach out to you. And she said, I've raised up a gospel choir in our public for a high school. She said, we're going to have a spring fling at the end of the year, and we're going to do a live recording. Would you come and share your testimony, preach the gospel, bring whoever you want, student initiated, the principal's behind us, the government can't touch us. I said, are you serious? She said, I'm dead serious. 150, 120 students, 120 students, all their parents, I said, oh, my gosh. That night, that's a picture of that night. That night, 50 kids run to that altar and give their hearts to Jesus. The Spirit of God falls. I'm talking, y'all, not just getting saved. Ask Amber. She was there. Demons coming out of kids. Eyes rolling in their head, screaming, barking, yelling, foam, laid out, I mean, you gotta go there, y'all. Mom and Mom and Dad, Mom and Dad are coming, thinking they're watching the end of the year, their son and daughter at the spring fling and the school show. They had no idea all this was going to go on. They didn't know they would have a speaker. So when this happened, they're seeing their son and daughter getting delivered from demons in the school. They start crying and weeping, weeping and the students took over the whole meeting. No one left. The spirit of God sovereignly moved. No one left that auditorium. It was the, I mean the principal didn't know what to do. The teachers didn't know what to do. It was a genuine move of God and a for a high school. They wrote us letters a weeks later. I still have them in my office of how they got delivered from unforgiveness through abuse of their parents. They started Bible club meetings. They started having fast in the hallways. They said the fire is still running through the hallways of school the next day. Because it wasn't my ability to preach or my testimony even, it's because we had faith and we gathered at the well at the site, at the land, and we struck the ground, and we connected with our ancestors through Jesus. We said, Lord, open the well, and we honored the past, and God connected us to what was promised to our own forefathers, and it looked like God opening up a window for a high school revival in the present. What if we caught a revelation of how important, you don't have any idea how important that is when you recognize where God has moved in the past and you go to honor it, not to rebuild or try to replicate, but to generally honor the past, to honor the history, to take time to literally go and do that. It really moves God's heart. And when it moves his heart so much, he literally pours out stuff in the present. Man, that journey, I won't go into all this tonight, but that meeting launched us into four years of supernatural ministry. I will say this, the next year, we were back at the school with a tent, a 500-man tent on the school property. And we did that for three days while school was in session. I mean, while kids were going to algebra class, we had a tent going day and night worship and prayer. Three days where the presence of God was filling the whole property. In the same town where Cashwell came back and held that meeting 110 years prior. I'm like, whoa, you can't make this stuff up. What if the bones begin to rattle in Kimberly, Alabama? What if the bones of Anna Dean Cole, Anna Dean Cole, listen to that, that missionary, she was the arrow shot out of the window. He said, King, shoot that arrow out of the window, and you'll have victory over Amon. Dean Cole was an arrow shot out of Kimberly and out of Birmingham that literally touched the nations of the world. Oh my gosh, but what is God doing now? What does he want to do? What's the possibility of what he could do? But what I'm bringing to us is that I don't think we can reach the fullness of it in the present unless we honor the past, unless we get this part of it right. Amen? I was in the school. Can you go one more? I'm going to really wrap this up. Personal story. Cashwell. Here's one last part about this. So, (laughs) you can't make this stuff up. In my own journey, I told you I started writing a book because God said, I want you to write this book about Cashwell. So I started writing the book about Cashwell through this whole three, four year journey. And I always felt like God used him to spread this movement in the South for three years. And the three things he focused on basically was this. Racial healing, denominational unity, and preparing a generation to receive another full measure of the Holy Spirit. Those are the three areas that he focused on. But I always felt like he never finished it. Because of racism of the day, the cultural divide in the churches, the segregation in the churches, all of that just began to stop the move of God and it clogged up the well and he died, and that was it, the baton was never passed, so I went to his grave one day, this is his grave, and I was just going there, I wanted to check it out, and I just was sitting there at his grave, and, and in my own journey, in my own life, I felt like, as weird as this sounds, I felt like my life was somehow knitted to this guy's life, even though we're 100 years or so apart, and I just sat there, and I thought, wow, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to put it into words, so I sat on the, on the grave, and I said, well, Lord, I felt like this man never finished what you wanted him to finish. And, and, and God, right now, I'm just, I'm just talking. But God, if you are really calling my life to finish what he could not complete, then my answer is yes. Whatever that looks like. I say yes, God. I give you my yes. Standing on his bones as I said it, I give you my yes. Guess what happens? Three, four months later, I get a call from my unsaved aunt. Not even a believer. Has no idea any of this kind of stuff's going on. She goes, Hey, I did something. I said, What'd you do? She said, I hired a genealogist to research our family line. I said, Really? She's like, Yeah, you got it. We're going to have a meeting. I'm going to give you some documents. So my dad, his sisters, and her, just five siblings, we all gather around. She lays out, she actually hired a professional to do this, lays out the, 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 in these booklets all what she found. Has no clue. No one really cares about it. Family genealogy, they're like whatever. They me and my dad get it. And we start flumming through. And then you can imagine my surprise as I like literally drop the book out of my hands. Because we find out that we're descendants of Cashwell. Look at the stone beyond Cashwell. My last name is Thornton. Maybe God is real. And I knew then that this isn't just like history. This isn't just information. This isn't just, you know, something to do, learning about the past. This is real, guys. This is like so real and so powerful. And the Lord gave me my answer. And he said, that is what I'm calling you to do. You're going to finish what that man never could complete because it's your turn to take the baton and take it to another generation. And without going into it, and I can't even begin to tell you, Our whole journey in the last five years, God has led us to places just like this. Just like we are here, right? I I have never been to Kimberly, Alabama in all my life. And we meet in Virginia through a good friend of ours, Abner, at that conference. And we're just sitting around the table. He says, will you come out here? And when I found out it was Kimberly, and when I found out this, I said, man, this was my ancestor was here. My ancestor was holding meetings here. You can't make that up. Maybe, maybe we are finishing what that generation never could complete, and maybe you're tied into this. Maybe this is God calling you out. This is your land. This is your region. You know there was other arrows in the bag. I believe you guys are the other arrows. And you know what those arrows represent? A lot of times in church, you know what we do? That's a mistake. What, what we let the enemy do in our life, we let the enemy always try to trick us or tempt us into seeing what we don't have. Spiritually, gifts, prophetic, whatever, you know, or money, it's always like what we don't have. But if we just use what we do have, man, that's all God needs. Five loaves, two fish, boom, fed the 5,000. Those arrows, all it took is just striking the ground with his whole heart, using what he had, and God could have destroyed all of the enemy. So I feel like the Lord is just really speaking to us tonight really strongly. I, I just want to encourage you guys that, that, that there is something real about this. There is something tangible about this, of what God's doing in this region, in this land. It's not an accident that we're here. It's not an accident about Kimberly, Alabama, about this whole Cashwell story. I mean you you really cannot make this stuff up. One last story. I had a great grandmother I never met. Her name was Mertie Faircloth. She lived and done. I later found out that she was in the Cashwell Revival Warehouse. Because she was an old Pentecostal holiness praying grandma. That's what they told our family. And my dad said he had the earliest memory, my dad's in his mid-70s now, of when he was a little boy, he was the oldest out of his siblings of Grandma Murdy taking him on his knee and prophesying over him in tongues while she made homemade buttermilk biscuits. I mean buttermilk biscuits and prophecy and revival It'll get better than that. Whoo <laughs> she and I have a Baptist uncle who is not in the spirit, and just kind of shuts all that down. He's, he's my dad's uncle. He's still living. He's in his mid-80s. His name's Uncle Dixie. And Uncle Dixie is the one who relayed the story down to us. And our Baptist uncle would say this. He said, Richard, I never could understand one thing about Grandma Murdy. When she got wound up praying in the spirit, she only did it with you and not the only other siblings. And she said the prayer that she would pray in English after that, I remember it. I could hear her in the kitchen. she said, say, God raised up out of Richard and his family a generation of preachers and ministers and revivalists. And it's amazing to me that out of all of my dad's side of the family, no one went to the Lord. They went the ways of the world. Only my dad ended up getting saved, and only my dad became an evangelist, and now myself— and now training up our children. What if what great-grandma Murdy prayed is now, just now, becoming a fruition in our life? But here's what I also want you to see. She lived in Dunn, the same town where all this took place, same town where I met my wife. All of this was swirling around. And what, what, what are you saying? This is what I'm saying. I believe there's such a power in prayer that what if what was in our ancestors' DNA, in other words, what they experienced with God, is literally filtered down through the generations. And it's awakened in us when we say yes to what God wants us to do. And we say yes and begin to engage in prayer, intercession, and whatever he's leading us to do. I think those things start awakening things. That's how that's I look at it happening in my own life. I, I, I never knew about genealogy. I never could get, I just was like not that person. But as God began to unfold this revelation, I found out our natural identity is just as important as our spiritual identity. And so many people don't even know who their parents are today, much less their grandparents or great-grandparents. And so many generational blessings have been cut off. And generational inheritances have been cut off because of that. But I think God is literally breathing fresh revelation, fresh impartation and momentum for us to rediscover who we are, not just in the kingdom, but in our own natural, who we are in our physical DNA. Amen? Strike in the ground. Kimberly, Alabama. God moved. Mm. Let's stand. Shoo. Mm. Shoo. Thank you, Father. Man, let's just tarry there. Shoo. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Shoo. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I want to first thank you, Lord, that you've led us all to this procession moment. This moment here, Father, where our, our spiritual forefathers gathered over 110 years ago. And Lord, where you moved all around this region and all through this land, Father, I believe that you made covenants and promises. And I believe you moved on a generation just as we learned tonight, Lord, that they were, that they were being sent off as, as laborers to foreign fields and nations, Lord. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, just for that movement even of the past. And we, we honor that tonight. Just by even talking about it, Lord, we honor, Lord, we honor Anna Dean Cole, Lord, who came from Kimberly and laid down her life as an offering for a generation. Lord, we honor Cashwell and Pinson and Rogers and Tomlinson. We honor. All the laborers, the intercessors, the the moms with the nursing babies and and the the dads and the the people on the farms all around this area that were tobacco farmers or cotton farmers. And they they were coming, they were being drawn by by the presence of your spirit being poured out, Lord. God, and I'm just so reminded, Lord, that it was at this place that you took ordinary men and women. They weren't, they weren't superstars in the kingdom. They weren't popular. They weren't famous. They were ordinary people, Lord. They were ordinary people just like us, men and women who had a heart for you, Lord. And you took them, Jesus, and you literally shook the foundation of the world. You built the church on the offering that they gave you, Lord. Lord, Bible says in Hebrews that the heavenly host stands with us. I believe Deanie Cole and Cashwell and Penton are overlooking us right now. I believe they're all around us. It says that since you have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so, God, we, we've come to this moment tonight. We've come to this moment this weekend where, where, we're, where we're coming in and we're entering into this moment this divine window. And we're saying thank you for what you did in the past. But God, we're saying, Lord, we need you to move in the present. Lord, we need you to move in the present, Lord. We need you to move in this region. We need you to move again, Lord. Lord, remember the covenant that you made with Anna Cole on that property Lord remember the covenant you made with Cashwell so many years ago Lord and honor that covenant Lord Jacob entered into the vow that Abraham made at the altar at Bethel and so we come as a body to enter into the vow that Cashwell and Pinson and Cole made our forefathers made in this same land in which they made it and we enter into that vow now Jesus and we say yes We say yes, Lord, to whatever you want, Lord. We say yes to whatever you want to bring, to whatever you want to do, Jesus. We say yes, Lord. We say yes, Jesus. We say yes, Lord. Lord, our hearts are before you, Lord. We're we're an altar, Jesus. We're an altar before you, Lord. And we want to burn with your love, Father. We want to take it, Lord, to the nations, we want to take it to wherever you send us Lord. I'm not satisfied where I'm at, God. I love you so much and I honor you Lord, but you know my heart, God. I am so hungry for more Jesus. I'm hungry for more of you Lord. I'm hungry for more of you Lord. I change my heart again Jesus. Change my life yet again Lord. I I just feel guys that even There's revelations of God that we've not captured yet. There's depths in God that we've not experienced yet. There's, There's degrees in the Holy Spirit that we've not accessed yet. Lord, we just ask for the more of you, Lord. We ask for the more of who you are to fill our hearts and our lives tonight, Lord. We want to be like arrows in your hand, Jesus. We want to be like arrows in your hand, Lord. We've been in this moment where we've been, we've been almost trained to to just feast off of the man and the woman of God in the hour, and and we go home, Lord, and we go home, and we go back to our routine and our and our and our normal way of living, Lord. But for Anna, Dean, Cole, they didn't have a normal. They didn't. There was no other normal, God. When they said yes to you, Lord, you sent them, Father. Their whole life changed. As a church, God, I just pray that you just prepare us even more to be ready, God, to go after the fullness